Welcome to Darling So It Goes. I'm your host, Pascal. This is a pretty special episode for several reasons, not the least of which is because I am super excited to have our very first guest on the show. I thought it would be pretty special for my first guest to be the person I started this podcast with, and I'm sure you have missed her voice and all the knowledge that she brings to each episode. I know I have for sure. Secondly, she brings a topic that is near and dear to her heart, so I can't wait to get started and hear what she has to say. But before we do that, let's take a moment for a word from our sponsor. When we return, I'll introduce our very special guest. Welcome back. Like I said, I'm super excited to introduce you to our first ever guest here at Darling So It Goes. She's the person I started the podcast with last year and my friend. Welcome back, Dee. Hi, how are you? I'm good and I'm super excited to have you here. Me too. It's like old times. I know, I know. So let's talk about this topic that you wanted to bring to Darling So It Goes and see what we can find out. Oh, yeah. So, um, you know, it's funny because I was thinking of uh, my brother's a veteran. Right. And um, I I keep on these things keep popping up to me almost like I'm supposed to talk about it. We always talk about this anyway, Uh, where I'm working I'm working with some um, people in the fire department because my brother is a veteran. So veterans are close to my heart in that respect. And I remember um, there's a gentleman on the Cape I used to talk to who owns a motor coach and he goes around and actually physically comes to the vets that are homeless and brings them toiletries and they just walk. It's basically a mobile store and he's gotten funding through Washington, D.C. even to get this um, off the road and it's done very, very well. And he understands veterans supremely well because of doing this. He's like learned like what works for them, what doesn't. We were talking about service dogs and he was saying the service dogs, he said, he said, this is my opinion, are not the best option for them. He said, because a lot of times their mental issues have not been taken care of and adding a dog on top of it has what ends up happening is there's not enough support to get that mental issue stabilized enough once that thousand dollar dog or a couple thousand dollars trained dog is put into their home if things go south which it tends to do he said because you know there needs to be better options for vets to help them um, before you introduce a service dog these service dogs end up being like either abused and they're getting the results of whatever the mental issues these veterans have had ptsd or they're being left behind and they no, there's nobody to take the dog because their family falls apart. The The wife doesn't want to take the dog with the kids. It's too much extra work. And then the, the dog ends up being returned. So, and I was like, I never thought about that. And he's like, yeah, this is kind of what we're seeing. So it's showing the, the holes in the, what seems to be helping, which is the traditional medication, um, you know, probably therapies, which are not even available for the normal people that haven't had trauma due to a war they've been in, um, you know, nobody can seem to get therapists. So not only they're not able, they're just using medication and traditional therapy, and that doesn't seem to be sustaining for the long term for a lot of these people. 
So, you know, and then it got me thinking about when I was just discussing with one of the guys from the fire department that I was working with the other day. And he's like, yeah, we, we go out and a lot of times we're just, you know, picking them up because they're in the cold. It may not be a vet, but he said one of them, some of them are veterans because they're, they have alcohol on board. You can't take them into homeless shelter. And there's no place for them to go. So basically, they have to bring them to the emergency room. They, they come to the emergency room. The emergency room then um, has to hold them there for a period of time. And it's basically a ex- super expensive way to get people warm until they're ready to go back out and live on the street again. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So if they don't have access to the services that they need, then this is just a never ending cycle. Yeah. And there's never any wet. They don't, they used to apparently have a wet um, facility because none of homeless shelters take you if you have anything on board, alcohol, drugs, which is totally understandable. Sure. But they used to have wet facilities, but it never succeeded. I don't, I think the amount of money that you probably need to pay someone is a lot more, but you know what? You're spending more money with every, person you're bringing in an ambulance to the ER. Yeah. You know, so I think it's important, you know, first of all, to say, God bless our veterans because, and our active duty military, because not everybody can do that. Not everybody can step up to the plate and take on that responsibility and defend our country. So, you know, I feel like All of us should have a special place in our heart for military veterans. Yes, I, uh, I totally agree with that. I think they get, well, it was interesting when I was researching um, this podcast, I came across something because I knew I saw like 16 years ago, I had seen something. It was like on PBS regarding when men go to war, when they come, they may, they'll have a stable, if they have a stable family, like, um, you know, a wife with kids and then they go to war, they come back. The trauma, they live in a first world country they they originally started with, but the trauma that they received in a third world country, usually typically where these these places have wars and the stuff that they dealt with, they actually bring it back to the home and it affects for generations. So it almost causes a generational regression where now you have first world people having third world problems all over again and it's almost like bringing a country back instead of moving it forward they're stuck in that place moving forward yeah it's so interesting so challenges that face veterans and you know I feel like we have to have the caveat of this is not all veterans but this is a lot of veterans and especially wartime veterans and some challenges And these aren't all of them that these veterans face are unemployment, sense of identity or a sense of purpose, homelessness, physical handicaps, mental health issues. And the three most common mental health issues for veterans are PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, depression, and TBI, traumatic brain injury. Yes, that's what I saw too. They, I was surprised at the traumatic brain injury. Yeah, I did not realize that was one of the reasoning behind why they have the challenges of this high suicide rate. Yeah, so I know that you and I had talked previously about, you know, the ideal would be to have a center 
where all of these veterans can come and they can have different services available to them available to them so services for physical impairments physical handicaps mental health services mental health care um energy healing yep different alternative therapy modalities that maybe aren't available to them. But what I found, and I wonder if you found the same, is there are more services available than what we had originally thought. Yes, I think so. I was actually pleasantly surprised at how many more alternative things that I never even thought they used them for veterans. Yeah. It's amazing. And I wonder, and you probably don't know the answer to this, but this is just coming up for me, is I wonder how many more services there are now than even 20 years ago. Yeah, which is when the study that there was, oh, it's funny you said 20 years ago, because they were just saying after 9-11, one of the biggest reasons why the suicide rate is four times uh, the amount in servicemen, they, Brown University did a study. They said that post since 9-11, the reasoning behind it is do, they said it was the trauma and stress, difficulty integrating into civilian life, which is what you mentioned, the rise of improvised explosive devices, which I did not know, and then public disinterest in post 9-11 wars, like apathy, like we're totally apathetic to them when they come home. I did not even realize that. That's so sad. I know. And it's like, like if we could just educate people to say, listen, you you don't realize veterans are right next to you. And just sometimes by saying thank you so much, or I recognize you. A lot of times they're wearing those hats, you know, with the veterans on there or or the ship they were on is because, you know, they're proud of it and they want to talk to people about it. I think sometimes just that small talk, like we always talked about this, just a matter of talking to somebody and saying, how was your day? Like little things, you don't know what a big impact that made for that person for the rest of the day. That's right. Well, it's interesting that you brought up 9-11 because um, in doing some research for this episode, the USO, the website is uso.org, but they said that in 2021, research found that 30,177 active duty personnel and veterans who served in the military after 9-11 have died by suicide compared to the only seven. And I say only, this is still a big number, but compared to 30,000, 7,057 service members killed in combat in those same 20 years. Oh my God. That was that Brown University cost of war project. That's what that, that's, that's, I read, I was just reading that. I could, I was, I'm shocked. Yeah. So, I mean, 7,000 died in combat compared to 30,000, more than 30,000 that died by suicide. That's crazy. So they need services and we all collectively need to be more aware. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And before we go on, I just want to add that any websites that we mention, I will definitely put in the show notes when we're finished. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I Some of the things that I found, I, I notated the name just for that, for you, for that reason, if you want to put it down to, to tell people in case they want to, re, you know, investigate it. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, the VA, 
they did you know they estimate there's 20 vets that per day that commit suicide 20 mm, per day per day wow I'm like there's no it just it doesn't just makes no sense like i i like obviously it's an epidemic yeah you know so i well you know. And I wonder, and I didn't look this up, but I wonder the number of Vietnam vets that committed suicide because, I mean, those poor men and women, they came home and they were just, people were so mean. And oh, just, I know. You know, there was no support when they came home. So imagine seeing the things that they saw living through what they lived through to only come back to your country who you were fighting for, who you risk your life for to be condemned and to be shamed. How would you feel? <gasps> you know what? They were mentioning that the stuff that was happening in Afghanistan, they said the Vietnam vets, this is the one of them I was going to mention, the non-narcotic care therapies, this particular um, one, it's called Healing Warriors Program. They were saying that they were after Afghanistan, they were getting a lot of Vietnam vets that were re-triggered their, their, all their PTSD came back oh. so it's almost like they had to relive it again through yeah. these new boys essentially coming through and coming back Wow, injured and I was, that's interesting that you said that because I'm sure there's no studies on the Vietnam vets because right right and you know it's rare, I almost feel like that you find a veteran of Vietnam who even wants to talk about it. Yeah, you are correct. Yeah, especially Vietnam. Other wars, yes, but especially I think just because of the stigma around being involved in that, people don't talk about it. Did you know of anybody who was in Vietnam? Was any of your family members? Yeah, both of my uncles were. (gasps) Oh boy. And they never talked about it, right? Um, my one uncle doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, my other will, they're brothers and, um, they were my mom's brothers. Um, the other one, he will talk about it, but I, I would say it's not necessarily the, yeah, the first thing he wants to discuss or, right. you know, it's tough. Yeah. And there's no teachable lessons that he probably is like, sometimes they'll bring it up because they'll say, like if something happens in the family or like they're trying to teach, I noticed that with um, my brother or my father, they'll mention something. If there's, you know, this is what happened. I'm just letting you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. But that would be the only time. Well, and we have to learn from history, right? Or yeah. we're just repeat it. So some of that information I feel like is very prudent. Oh yeah. Yep. In thinking about um, some of the services that, are currently available, you know, one of the things that the USO says um, is that strengthening this, that they like to strengthen the service members through connection. So for deployed service members, they make sure that they have access to phones and computers. That way they can keep in touch with their families. So USO overseas locations also host events throughout the week for unaccompanied service members to spend time with other people in non-work environments. So if you are an enlisted person and you get sent to a foreign country and your family's not with you, they make sure that you've got time in that non-work environment as much as they can 
so you can develop a sense of home and a sense of community so you don't feel so alone. Oh, yeah. I didn't even know USO did that. Yeah. I found out so many things I didn't know, you know, so many different organizations as well that I didn't know. And maybe service people are all privy to these things and maybe they're not, I just don't know. Yeah. And that's the thing that, you know, they probably offer to them. And a lot of times I think what happens is sometimes they, they get, when people are down, you get overwhelmed And you don't want to participate in these kind of things. It's almost like you have to have a personal person come to you and say, not just, which is great, computers and and phone and stuff. But don't you find that, that sometimes it makes a difference when somebody physically is near you in your field and says, listen, hey, let's go to this thing together. Absolutely. That's why sometimes I feel like these modalities where you're working with people in person is probably pretty helpful and you're not even realizing it's like that interaction phone and computer have made things much much better and i think once you're at a certain level you'll in you'll integrate yourself into that i don't know that's just a thought for me because sometimes i just don't i'm not going to make the for me if i'm not feeling good i'm not gonna, i don't make the effort to go on the computer or, or call somebody all the time but i've happened to bump into somebody it just has brightened my day Absolutely. I agree. And you know, during the pandemic, you would be, you would say, let's just go to the island and take a walk because otherwise I wasn't going by myself. Right. You know, so just to have that social interaction, to get some fresh air, to be in nature, it really did make all of the difference. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, Before we leave the USO, um, I just want to talk about a couple more things that they offer that are so important. They say strengthening service members through protective environments. So having that safe, supportive environment plays a large role in suicide prevention. Um, When people feel secure in their surroundings, they're less anxious, less depressed, and it improves their physical health. They have fewer instances of substance abuse and experience an overall improved quality of life and life expectancy. So I love that idea of suicide prevention. Let's get these steps in place before the thought even enters your mind. That's really good to think about. That's the USO that offers it as well? That's the USO. And one of the things that they have are USO centers. And they say that they're strategically located in airports and military installations, wherever they are in the world. And that way, when a service member sees the USO center, they know from that moment that they walk in, that they can depend on the center to have a safe and supportive environment. And it doesn't matter where in the world they are. So it's that feeling of, I'm not home, but I'm home. Yeah, right. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's pretty good. Yeah. Because I can only imagine that feeling of isolation. You're in a foreign country. You are always in fight or flight mode because your life is in danger. And that's not a comforting home feeling. So just to have those places you can go and feel like, okay, I'm home. Yeah. What did you find as far as other services that are available or things that surprise you? 
So I'll start with the, the modality that's like more of the normal modality, I would say closest to the normal modality. And then I'll go out from there because I found some really interesting ones, which I think, it, especially people who are very resistant to treatment, traditional treatment, which a lot of them they're finding they are like, I, and I've always known this at a VA hospital, like I've always wanted to work at a VA hospital. They tend to have really high opioid uh, prescribing and opioid use because a lot of them have neuropathies, they have pain. Um, and what happens is PTSD, trauma, stress, all exacerbate pain. So they originally have pain and then they're down and that makes it even worse. So they have like a perfect storm. So a lot of times they get to these levels of opioid use of, of opioid and they can't get them back down. So because you're, you're required as you up the dose on an opioid, you, it requires more to get the same pain management over time. It's just, that's the way it is. So the idea is to try to limit the opioid use and find other ways to help them manage their pain. Yeah. Uh, I think they're realizing it more now than they used to. Um, but now they're in a situation where now they've got to backtrack. But uh, when I was mentioning the Healing Warriors program, they are considered, they call their therapies non-narcotic care therapies because they they said it's attending to like um, their primary objective. They tend to things that exacerbate pain so they can decrease opioid use and therefore suicide because opioid use is is linked to suicide. Mm -hmm. So that's another layer that people don't realize, but they're attending to kind of this particular end. So a lot of times you can access these programs through the VA. The VA doesn't do the therapy. They contract with Healing Warriors program to do it. So okay. even if you go to the VA, they can, you can say, listen, do you have Healing Warriors program available that I could try on alternative treatment for my pain? Like they use acupuncture, they use meditation. They, and their biggest primary thing, which I did not know, is they attend to disruptive sleep cycles first, which can exacerbate pain and PTSD and other conditions. So they try to get their sleep cycles normal, and then they start attending to everything else. That and is I, so interesting. I know. So that was um, the Healing Warriors program. Um, that's available, like you said, through the VA, they contract that through them. And it looks, it seems to be very successful for quite a few people, but I think there's other modalities as well that they put on in addition to that. Um, there was another one that uh, a woman had started it. It's called um, VETS, which is Veterans Exploring Treatment Solutions. So I noticed she didn't put in the fact that they use ayahuasca, <laughs> yeah. but it is it is certainly because I had seen use of ay ayahuasca for addiction. They, they have been using it to help people who are so resistant to coming back from, uh, to recovering from addiction. Like this is kind of like their last resort. So this woman had a husband who had a traumatic brain injury, uh, PTSD. She said, as soon as he came back and he was, he was fine when he was in the service, but once he got out of the service, first month was fine. And then all of a sudden everything started falling apart. They know how to keep it together because they know what to expect when they're in the service. But once they matriculate into their civilian life with their family, she said it got really, it was very hard to find a therapy that worked for her husband. So finally 
she found it's called psychedelic assisted therapy. They used um, like psilocybin. I mean, these are a natural form of, of medications per se, but they're psychedelics like magic mushrooms, um, ibogaine, which is a bark from the African tree and ayahuasca. Um, what it does is um, there's a guy out of John Hopkins that that's a, a clinical think he's a clinical psychologist who works with this program and he's gotten them started on the studies that are showing that it gives them a better ability to deal with emotions and relationships when they go through one of these psychedelic assisted therapies and um, then they don't resort to opioid use they don't resort to anything else especially with traumatic brain injury or pain or anything like that this is kind of an option when all else fails that's interesting that you say that because have you seen that series on Netflix called Goop? No. Oh my goodness. Goop. One of the episodes that they did is they went to Jamaica and several of the Goop employees went and went through one of these therapies where they drank the tea that was made from the mushrooms and then they had therapists there who participated in the circle. They all sat in a circle and they drank their tea and I feel like they said that they should start to feel, you know, the effects of it within like 20 minutes to an hour or something. And during this time, and it was very measured amounts. It was very specific. It wasn't just willy nilly. And during this time when they were in this psychedelic haze, basically it allowed things that they had suppressed to come to the surface. And with the help of the therapists, they were able to work through it and their bodies were able to release this, this trauma that they've been holding on to. And some of them cried and some of them shook or some of them, all these different things. Some of them laughed and whatever it happened to be, this was the assistance. And when they were finished, they regrouped back in a circle. I'm assuming it was probably the next day. And they talked about what they went through, what that experience was like for them. And every one of them really were just blown away by what happened. Well, you know what? Now I understand why this other modality worked because because that's usually like the traditional way with psychedelics was like ayahuasca was the shaman would do it with like questing with um, tribes and you could see, and I think they ended up telling people they could heal. They would heal their tribe that way. And they eventually um, do what you were talking about. They have like a therapist or, but the therapists are basically taking the place of what the traditional shamans were basically right. the same thing. It's funny you said they're accepting the things that they wouldn't normally have brought to the surface because the EFT, you know, the tapping, they call it the emotional freedom technique. You know that tapping? Mm-hmm. I think we've talked about it. We've and, talked about it for sure. Yeah. And they said the, the I guess Bruce Lipton's definition of tapping, how it works, is your body can either be in like a healing mode or a survival mode. He said when you tap, it decreases cortisol. Tapping on, you know, acupressure points. It repatterns a limiting belief and releases it. So it's basically allowing the body to accept the things it normally can't accept to relax. So basically it's bringing stuff to the surface to accept the things that have happened 
for you to look at it, accept it, because that's what they're saying is you're not accepting the fact of what you just saw. You just saw a child blown up. You just saw your leg get blown off. Right. You're not, you're, you saw it, but you're in fight or flight. So you compartmentalize it and you can't forget about process it. it. Yeah. You don't process it. Yes. That, I think that's these, all of these things seem to help to bring it up. It's almost like it's getting the subconscious, accessing the subconscious to allow it to heal your conscious and then your body. I love that so much. And it's interesting because, you know, you were saying that this isn't new. So this would be a long time ago. It would be the shaman who would do this within the tribes. And being that we're Western medicine, right? Everything Mm -hmm. has to be regulated and everything has to be. So it has to be a therapist who does this and or a doctor or whatever the case may be. It has to be regulated. But I love that there's starting to be more of an integration between Eastern and Western medicine. They don't have to be two separate entities. And you're understanding why them separate isn't working. There are things that we don't even know about the human mind and the human body that could be energetic or it's stuck somewhere and you don't, and you see, oh, that's airy-fairy, that's woo-woo stuff. But way you're treating it, the traditional way, by just keep on throwing opioids at your body or giving you um, medication is not working. Right. So if it's not working, something else is happening. Well, and medications truly are just a band-aid because the medications don't get to the root of the problem for the most part. Right. So you're treating the symptom, but you're not processing, you're not fixing the cause. You're not going back to the root issue. So it's really important to do that. And, you know, we are energetic beings. Everything is made up of energy and that energy does sometimes get stuck. So if you think about beaver builds a dam, it stops the flow of water, you know, and then the river has to reroute or the water just stops up, whatever. That's the same way our energy works. When you have a traumatic event happen and you're not able to process, you're not able to work through it. It's just like that dam that blocks up the flow and the energy can't move. So then that's where the dis-ease comes from. If the energy can't move through, you know, your heart chakra, for example, then maybe you're going to have a tight chest. Maybe you're going to have heart palpitations. Maybe you're going to have chest pain, which then sends you to the doctor, which maybe has given you high blood pressure. So you get put on a blood pressure medication. Yep. But the energetic cause of those symptoms hasn't been solved yet. Yeah, it still needs to be attended to. Exactly. Yeah. So energy work, since we're talking about that, I mean, I feel like that is another really important one, just for all the reasons we already just said. So I'm a Reiki master, and I believe that And like you said, people think it's woo woo. People don't it's, and that's okay. Like you have to meet people where they are. And it's almost one of those things where maybe you have to experience it to believe it. I think that's it. So if these services are all available 
to our veterans, they wouldn't necessarily say, oh, maybe I need Reiki for this. But if it's suggested to them and explained to them why this might help, if you can be open-minded to try it, then they might be willing to try and find the benefit. Well, it's funny, this EFT, which is the tapping method, they were, you know how you tap um, the acupressure points? They were showing an example of like four different veterans who had severe cases of PTSD, you know, suicidal thoughts, um, you know, it was causing disruption in their family. Like one wife was like, you know, you're threatening us with a gun Mm -hmm. and you're getting upset and angry and we're lying to you because we don't want you to get angry anymore. And she noticed a huge difference. She said, they said after four days, they, they followed four veterans after four days, they had extreme improvement in each of their symptoms. And they were actually shocked themselves. And they, the therapist were, they kind of showed one little session, the therapist, they essentially act like a therapist, but they use tapping and they integrate that into it by them saying a statement and they go to the each pressure point and they tap it. And it's, it's funny. It gives them like, um, like something to focus on. It's, it's really interesting how it works. And they said, it's a very quick method to use that if any therapist wants to use it and try it, it's worth a shot because you don't have, and it works very quickly, but they have to be amenable to doing the tapping. And it's like a, a repatterning every time. It's almost like, you know how they say when you knit um, or you're doing something with your hands and you're, you listen better? Mm-hmm. Then with, because your brain is um, kind of almost in a meditation state. So you're actually more alert and more paying attention. Do you know what I'm saying? I and- do. You're mindful. Your mind is full of one thing. And so you don't have monkey mind where yeah. you're only half listening because you're thinking of 13 other things. And that's the thing with the vets, they have what they call these intrusive thoughts all the time. And it's probably the intrusive thoughts of the trauma they had. And it's like, they can't focus on anything because of those thoughts that come in all the time. And that's kind of, right. And it's kind of helping them refocus on something. Because- well, and when you live in fight or flight for your own survival, you can't just shut that off, right? Yeah. So their minds had to be in 13 different places at one time. They had to take in the surroundings. They had to look for the enemy. They had to be able to take cover. They had to be able to prep whatever weapons they needed. They had to watch out for their buddies. They, all these different things that I can't even imagine. How do you just shut that off like a switch and come home and watch the five o'clock news and cut the grass. Oh yeah. You just think we have maybe when we have one night where we restless night where we can't sleep because we're thinking about something that happened at work that day. And it was like so disruptive in your day that you can't sleep at night. Can you imagine what they go through that happens to them every night? No, I can't. I can't imagine it. And I have such empathy for it. I always and my kids will too, like we make them. You stand up when the national anthem is played. You put your hand on your heart. You say the Pledge of Allegiance because it's not that I feel like our flag or our country is a god. I don't right. feel like that at all, but I that. do feel like that it 
gives the respect and the reverence to, you know, taking your hat off, for example, it gives the respect and the reverence to the people who have gone before us and who still today fight for us and our freedoms. Yes. Yeah. I agree with that. And I, you know, that doesn't, I don't want to discount any sort of social issues that have kind of come into play with that. I just want to just simply focusing on the veterans and what we're talking about here tonight. And when we say sacrifice, we're actually explaining what the sacrifices are. They're getting PTSD every night. They have ruined their families for generations, probably because of they've had go over there. They've had these, this trauma, it doesn't get taken care of. And then it's perpetuating itself throughout their generations of their family. So they've basically sacrificed the generations of their family too. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. When we say sacrifice, we're not talking about sacrifice to our country. We're talking about sacrificing themselves. Exactly. And their emotional and physical. That's what we're talking about here. You know, as you're saying that, it is so true that there has been research and discovery that trauma actually changes the makeup of your DNA. And so as your own DNA makeup has changed and then you reproduce, that's exactly what's happening when you say it changes things for generations to come because your DNA that's being passed on has been affected by trauma. Yeah. That's, I didn't even think about that either. That's a Mm -hmm. really good point. Yeah. So not only is it in your genetic makeup, the change takes place, but it's also just within your household and within society because trauma breeds trauma, right? So it frequently and not always, but frequently, if you were physically abused as a child, you then might go on to physically abuse your children because trauma breeds trauma. So unfortunately it's a double-edged sword. Yeah. Um, and it happened in an instant. Oh. It happened in an instant, yeah. but it's with you for generations in your cells yeah. and in your behavior. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because it wasn't, and what, and that's what we're talking about when it's not attended to right? properly, which most of them aren't. And that's why I think it's good that we start talking about these alternative things because they think these seem to be working for people. And I love that you mentioned the one study that you talked about where you said the wife said, this is what was happening. And that's so important too. I remember when I had each of my children in the hospital, the nurse would come in and give us a talk about postpartum depression. And they would always look at Brian and say, now, listen, dad, you're the one who's going to see it. You're the one who's going to have to, she's not going to want to go to the hospital. You're going to have to drag her there. So you've got to pay attention. And I think it's great that the spouses, the husbands and wives are paying attention and are able to advocate for their spouse who maybe can't do it for themselves at that moment. Yeah. So true. I wonder if there's, and maybe you know this, but I wonder if there is a program in place that does train spouses who stay at home when their spouse, husband or wife go off to war. I wonder if there's any sort of training, like what to look for, uh, what to do if you see this. I don't know the answer to that. 
I don't either, but that's interesting. Because, you know, an ounce of prevention is always worth a pound of cure. Right. I, I was gonna, I'm going to try to see if my brother mentions anything because he goes to the VA now. He, you know, That's why he, our talks are so good because we, <laughs> all kinds of things come up in them. Oh, so I wanted to ask you if you would be okay with the end of this. Um, my friend, a friend of a friend gave me this energy healing. There's these two um, examples to use that are, it's the Eden energy method. And apparently they've dealt with people with depression and post-traumatic stress disorders specifically. And they, there's two particular quick things that you can do on yourself. And I was going to explain them. And this was something that stood out to uh, this friend of a friend and said, listen, mention this. Cause I feel like this could be helpful. And I was like, Oh, you know what? Maybe I will. Cause it's a quick little example of something you could do for yourself to see if you could help improve how you're feeling. I would love that because, you know, even if someone who's listening isn't a veteran or doesn't live with a veteran, it's those kinds of things that anybody could use because so many people have gone through a trauma and still haven't processed it. Never mind if you're a veteran or not. Oh, yeah. It could be beneficial to everyone. Yeah. And I think I had used one of these on myself once and I was like, wow, this really made a difference. And if anything... It just brought my mind, mind's intention towards something to focus on. And, I love that. And I, I use that and it was, um, it was really interesting. So I'll, cause what, this was my last modality I was going to talk about was the energy healing part and you're, because you have the Reiki as well. This one, I guess, um, the Eden method, uh, is a little different from Reiki. I think it incorporates a couple different methods like the, uh, Chinese uh, medicine and a couple other Reiki and a couple other um, energy type healing modalities they use. Um, And it's all kind of incorporated into one. It's really interesting, this program. What it does is it's the whole idea behind this type of energy healing is you're reconnecting and rebalancing energy to give it space to flow. And they said like an example is pain is an excess of stuck energy in an area. When it flows, pain goes away. So the whole concept and theory is to get the energy moving through the body so it's not stuck so you're not causing pain in those particular areas right wow yeah I say let's go ahead and talk about it because I'm just looking at the time as we're talking and I think that we have just enough time for you to walk us through that and then we'll call it a call it a day call it a night I feel like we could do five episodes about oh my god I know I know we we still haven't talked about everything that I put in my notes that I wanted to talk about but I think that the energy healing is a great way to start so why don't you go ahead and walk us through that the first uh the one that she mentioned it's called I called it a practice pearl kind of these there's two practice pearls you can use um and this one is specifically for people with depression and post-traumatic stress disorder um and you basically, and especially someone who, is, if you, in, for certain extreme cases, because those tend to lead, extreme cases tend to lead to suicide. That's why you're looking for these particular symptoms. And she's, she was mentioning that you place, you take your three fingers, like your, your thumb and your, so first and second finger, and you put them together. So you make a three finger notch directly on top of the skull in the crown. And with your other hand, you make a notch in the center of the heart chakra. 
and then you hold till it's pulsing plus five minutes. So basically you're connecting those energy areas and it'll, you, you hold it until you feel like a pulsing through your fingers or through your head or through your heart, wherever you're feeling pulsing, because once that pulsing comes, that means the energy connected. And then you hold it there for another five minutes. Mine is already pulsing. So that means that I'm clear from my heart chakra through my crown chakra. So it's, it doesn't, I don't think it means clear. I think it means you're flowing the energy because in all these, you're trying to connect the amygdala, the hippocampus and the frontal lobe. I mean, it gets more complicated, but those are the three centers in the brain you're trying to connect when you have depression and post-traumatic stress. And Andrew Huberman, if you go to his website, he does the Huberman lab. He does YouTube's all over the place. He talks about this. He talks about those three areas of the brain, which I find interesting that Barbara Eden or Eden Energy knew about this already. Yeah. And she said, but she's hitting it from an energetic standpoint, whereas he hits it from a chemistry standpoint because he knows when you do certain thought processes, it releases chemicals in the brain. That's Andrew Huberman's idea. He's amazing. He would be another interesting guy to listen to. I think I mentioned him to you before. You have. Um, And so when we're doing this, if anybody walked in right now, (laughs) they would think because I'm sitting here like this and I'm feeling the pulsing. So as you're feeling this, are you supposed to be thinking about anything in particular? Nope. You're, you're concentrating on the sensing that pulsing. Okay. That's really what you're trying to do. And then another one, another practice pearl is you hold the neural vasculars on, on your forehead. So you take your palm of your hand yep. and you put it on your forehead. And then on the back of your head, you take your three fingers again and put it in the notch of your the back of your head. You know that back of your head, how with the back of your head hits the top of your neck you put those three fingers there and you hold until it starts pulsing and then energy will connect that means the energy is connected again this is so cool so it's pulsing for me the one on the back of my head but not on my forehead yet yeah and I didn't ask her if that it just says hold until you feel pulsing so I don't think it matters I mean, the whole, I think they said the longer you hold these points after pulsing, the better results you'll get. Yeah. And it's, they said, this is the energy flow to and between these three parts of the brain. That is so cool. Yeah. And I mean, really, if you can't sleep at night because you've got monkey mind, that's a great thing to do just to you know, change your thought process just to be more mindful, just to help relax yourself. Yep. So cool. Thank you for bringing that. Thank your friend for me. Oh, sure. No problem. I want to kind of end with the Veterans Creed, which I think I had never heard before. And I think it's so important. And it says that the Creed is supported by AMVETS, Disabled American Veterans, Hill Vets, Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans. It just gives a whole list. But the Veterans Creed is, I am an American veteran. I proudly serve my country. I live the values I learned in the military. 
I continue to serve my community, my country, and my fellow veterans. I maintain my physical and mental discipline. I continue to lead and improve. I make a difference. I honor and remember my fallen comrades. I know. I think that's just so nice. Yeah. So our hearts are with all the enlisted. Our hearts are with everyone in the military. I know. Past, present, future. And we think about you. Don't you worry. When we see those hats, it's not that we don't think about you at all. That's right. It's noted. That's right. So as we close this evening, I just want to remind everyone that whatever the upcoming week has in store for you, try to stay wicked relaxed by saying, darling, so it goes. Stay on your path and help others when you can. And keep moving forward and don't forget to go within. Good night. Good night.